we're really going to throw you guys curveballs. We're on our third episode of the new year, and uh, we thought we'd do something new and different. So yeah. talk about it, Matt. This one will be fun. So you're going to be missing. It's going to be like cricket. <laughs> obvi- obviously, when we decided to celebrate Women's Month, you came to me and asked me to do this intro. Cause <laughs> yeah, because yeah. on your way out. On my way out about. the door, <laughs> as, as Bye, you do this Matt. next one without me. Yes. Um, but there's two reasons why that's really cool. Number one is because your co-host for the episode yes. is our great friend, fantastic colleague, incredible fundraiser, good human being, Money Kelly Maven. Sims. Mm. So yes. Kelly is going to be here in my chair, uh, taking on the role of trying to distract you from being a professional and getting <laughs> this work done <laughs> and, and probably talking too much during the interview. Oh, wait, that's just me. Um, <laughs> but the interviewee is going to be awesome, too. Yes. And so actually Women's Month fits perfectly because it's an author. Yes. Not just any author, a local author. Yeah. A local author who is incredible at what she does. She She is is. a New York Times bestseller. Yeah. I bought one of her books for my wife for Christmas. She has already been on my Amazon account and bought several more. So ringing endorsement from Mrs. Spence on this (laughs) one. Yep, and And many, uh, many more. With that, I'm going to get out of the way and let you guys talk to our next guest. So she was a reader from the start, a character-driven novelist, which is really unique. She's a creative thinker. She's a chaos wrangler, mm. a wife, a mother, and in our world, she's a neighbor and a friend. That's right. You are going to love hearing from Lisa Unger. Coming up next. <laughs> Friends, we are so excited. It is the third episode, and I am here uh, with a friend of mine from work. We're really excited to have Kelly Sims, um, our actual. Money Maven that does all things amazing at Feeding Tampa Bay and makes a lot of things possible. Kelly, welcome. Well, thank you for having me today. Of course. Really excited to have you. But our guest, um, we're both really excited about this. Um, Lisa Unger, welcome to the show. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. We're thrilled. We're thrilled. So Kelly just took us on a tour of the... the food bank, the warehouse. What did you think? You know, I have to say, I am blown away. You know, I have a lot of friends that are, you know, very involved with feeding Tampa Bay, and we, and you know, I have done what I can over the last few years since I've been um, a, a little bit tiny part of it as well. And uh, but this is my first visit to the warehouse, and. I, I'm just amazed by it. You know, I was telling Kelly while we were out there that, you know, when you think about Feeding Tampa Bay, you always think about, you know, the people that it serves, right? Mm-hmm. The people who are in need. And it's something that we, I think we can all connect with, you know, that we want to help our neighbors, you know, have these safer, more secure lives. But what I didn't expect to be so moved by was just the amount of food that is given mm-hmm. yeah. and the way that, you know, these big corporations like Amazon and public, you know, are devoting their um, their money and their time to really supporting this organization. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. So I was very impressed by the warehouse and also by that side of things as well. Yeah. People often um, will come away from their first tour and really get a better sense of really the scope and scale of, of how much food we distribute. And you yeah. can say 95 million meals, but to see it in action, even in a small way today, yes. it, it's, it is often a dramatic um, yeah, learning. Right. It is. And just the, mar- the market and how, you know, how much dignity is offered 
by that process and you know the the health center that you guys are planning to launch which is so exciting I mean it's all these different ways in which Feeding Tampa Bay is supporting the community and I think it's just I think it's beautiful I love it well thank you we're glad you're here to experience it and you brought a friend with you I did a long time friend a long time friend he's probably my best friend (laughs) my husband Jeff is here he's definitely my best friend that's the most beautiful thing to say because how long have you guys been BFFs we've been BFFs for uh, 22 years babe yeah, 20, <laughs> 22 plus years. Yeah, we'll we'll celebrate our 22nd wedding anniversary this year. Wow, congratulations, yeah. and thank you for thank joining you. us as yeah, well. Yeah, thank you for for coming along. And and so how did how did that? There's a unique story, and there's a reason why I'm getting to it. But yeah. how did that start? Well, you know, I was um, on vacation. I went to Key West, and um, I went to go visit a friend. I, at the time, I was working in publishing in New York. And um, my friend and I were out partying at, you know, sort of an iconic place called Sloppy Joe's on Duval Street. And um, while I was there, I met my husband. And, you know, usually those relationships, the ones that begin at Sloppy Joe's are a little bit more short term. (laughs) (laughs) On vacation, yes. On vacation. But this one seems to be working out. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we met there and it really was for me and I think for him as well, like a love at first sight moment. And within six months he had proposed, we had both quit our big corporate jobs and we decided we were going to move to Florida and and that's what we did. So it was kind of a whirlwind uh, romance. Mm. And, and here you are today. Is there, you know, we, weave food on sure we've weave food in throughout this whole show yes um so jumping back or, yeah. or even today is there a memory of a meal way back that <laughs> you can think of from that first meeting well you know it's funny because we're pretty food obsessed too so we're always trying to weave food into everything that we do and you know we did meet at sloppy joe's mm-hmm. you know so <laughs> And then a year to the day later, we after our wedding, we, you know, we went to Sloppy Joe's as well to to you know entertain all of our guests. So you know we're always sort of trying to weave food into our li- lives as well. And in fact, you know we have this kind of trip that we like to take back to the Keys. And I, I wrote about this um, for Travel and Leisure magazine a couple of years ago, where we kind of drive down through the Keys, and it, it literally is just like a bunch of food stops along, <laughs> yes. <laughs> along the way to the along the way to the Keys. And it's everything from like, what is it, Tower Tower of Pizza, um, to the Blue Marlin, which is like a like a Cuban restaurant. And, you know, we just try to, and also try always to discover new places and stop at new places along the way so yeah food's a big part of our life as well (laughs) you know one of the things that Shannon and I talk about in in having the opportunity to work um, here together is the fact that distributing food and making sure families have a meal around the table is certainly it's a blessing for us to be a part of it but I think as we think about the way we manage our own families the idea that the memories that were being made around Mm -hmm. a table is equally important when you think about a family that doesn't have food that moment where you check in at night around dinner and say like how was school or did you do your homework or on vacation Mm -hmm. as you've said to say that memorable moment was really the moment that we sat together and had you know whatever on the beach and so um, we want to make sure that we give people that opportunity as well. And as you think about, 
you know, some of your family traditions around a meal, like, are there others that come to mind that um, you try to do annually? Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in a big, big Italian family. So obviously, food was, you know, very much a part of those gatherings. And I remember growing up, just, you know, every, not, not just the fact that my parents made, you know, my mom was always an excellent cook, and she cooked every night, you know, she was like a whole foods chef, everything from scratch, all my life. And I thought that everybody ate that way. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't know, I didn't know any better. And then, Shh, don't you know, tell my kids don't that. T- <laughs> we, won't, we won't tell them, we won't tell them. <laughs> and so, and then at holiday gatherings with my big Italian extended family in Brooklyn, you know, it was always just like, I mean, just masses of food, right? And, but it wasn't just the food, like you say, it was like that gathering yeah. around mm-hmm. the table and all it's the things that, other. all the things that unfold there, the good, the bad, and the ugly, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And and then as, you know, as Jeff and I started our family and we have a, a daughter, Ocean, who, who's 16 years old, it became also very important to me that every night we sit down to the table as a family. And we still do that. I would say 90% of nights we sit and we, you know, we cook. We both love to cook. Ocean is, you know, loves to be served. <laughs> I was going to say, does she cook? How sweet is that? Yeah, she started, yeah, she's starting to get there, but, you know, we're not quite there with the cooking yet. Um, but, yeah, so, and I, I remember reading when, you know, when I was a new parent that, you know, um, this book about uh, about parenting and raising children and, like, raising exceptional children, and, you know, there was a study of, like, all these different people, and they were just all, it was all over the place, all walks of life, all different ways of doing things, but the one thing that every Every single family of these exceptional people had in common was that they all sat down mm, to dinner yeah. every night. Wow. And it was like that moment of we talk about this, you're accountable for your day, you tell us, you know, how things went, things come out at the dinner table mm-hmm. that aren't going to come out anyplace else because, you know, there's no devices at our table, there's no TV, we sit, we talk, we eat. And like that's been a very big part of our life as parents with, with our daughter. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, a couple of years ago, we went, um, we went to China and uh, it was a, it was part of a school trip for Ocean, but we went early, we went to Beijing, the three of us, and we walked the Great Wall. And afterwards, the guide, as part of our tour, um, he, he said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take you to dinner. I, we were like, oh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> okay. So he's like, this is part of the tour that you paid for of the Great Wall. I was like, okay, fine. So we go to this restaurant, and it's a very strange place. It was like part partially house, partially a restaurant. You know, um, we were unfamiliar with the guide, with the people who own the restaurant, with you know, pretty much everything. And my daughter just kind of looked at me, and she's like, are we doing this? I was like, oh, we're doing it. <laughs> we're she's in. like, but what is this? I'm like, I don't know but we're not going to be rude. We're going to eat it and it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And so we sat down at a table with our guide from the wall, the driver who didn't speak any English. Our guide spoke spoke really excellent English. Um, My daughter takes Chinese, but she doesn't really speak Chinese. (laughs) And we had Google Translate, so we were doing our best. But what I really felt like at that moment, sitting around the table with all of these different people who we didn't all speak the same language and we didn't really know each other, after about five minutes of sharing food and trying to communicate Mm. with each other and you know sharing this meal it was just like any other meal with any other you know any other place and we all just enjoyed some great food and just hung out with people and tried really hard to communicate the best we could and I felt like I wish everybody could do this I wish everybody could just go some you know to other places in the world even other places in the country even you know 
other everybody who has like maybe a different political belief if we could all just sit down and like have a big you know tray of baked cd in front of us mm. <laughs> good can, choice we, right. can, right? <laughs> we could probably solve a lot of a lot of the world's problems at the dinner table we could yeah, yeah. We that's could. how quickly community is created exactly around a meal and yeah. we, we keep that top of mind here to say Let's make sure we we consider that as we're distributing food as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. I thought one of the things that you said was really interesting, too, about making sure that everybody ha is served, every ethnicity, every culture within our area is served. Like, you know, some meal, some food are, are more valuable to some cultures than others, or mm -hmm. some food doesn't feel like real nourishment. And having that available here at Feeding Tampa Bay, I think, is a, is a, real, um, is a real blessing. It's true. We, um, you know, beyond the fact that we've made a commitment to distribute 80% of the food is would be foods to encourage healthy foods. So yes. every family would would first and foremost say, whatever we put on the table, let's make sure that it actually, you know, makes my child fueled and their body exactly. improved. And but the idea that that family and in our case, more and more, we want to make sure that they can choose the food that. That, that we're distributing to them to say, you know, we want rice and beans. We want, you know, mm -hmm. another, you know, in, in your case, pasta, whatever the case may be, that actually allows that family family memory and even the legacy behind to pass on. Without that, mm -hmm. you know, that family doesn't have that opportunity to share that memory. That's right. true. Because right. so much is tied up in, in the meals that we share with our family. There's so much culture and history mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of times when we travel, we try to take cooking classes because you learn so much about a culture from the food that they prepare and, and serve. It means mm -hmm. so much to, to everybody. Well, and that makes me think as well, our teams are um, so thoughtful and we want to honor the dignity of those that we serve. You know, sometimes we'll give foods that someone hasn't tried before, but we have recipes mm -hmm. that we make yeah. available to everyone and we yeah. give out. Now, you know, we're changing. We're getting a little more comfortable, hopefully very soon in March, where we'll be able to um, open things up to where people can choose their own foods again. And we mm -hmm. have a nutrition kitchen where our team goes out and cooks things and lets people sample. Yes. You know, there's things like butternut squash that someone's never had before, and we can show them how delicious that is. So, you know, we too give out that dignity at those distributions and, and show people how they can try new foods and experience that as well. Eggplant. Great. Yeah. Eggplant is delicious. It's intimidating. It is. It's Egg very intimidating, very but it doesn't need to be, right? <laughs> You're right. It doesn't need to be. I particularly think about that as we're honoring Women's Month here as well and the fact that as a mom, I was always trying to expand my kids' palate. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Not just because I would like them to be like a halfway decent guest in people's homes right. and, <laughs> and in other restaurants, in, in restaurants, which is, uh, you know, an issue in its own right, but also all of those foods were designed originally for the purpose of providing additional nutrition in different mm -hmm. ways, right? Yes. They always mm -hmm. say, like, the more color you can put on your plate right. is an easy way to say you've kind of got that balance. And, you know, we want to make sure that the moms and the dads that are, you know, taking care of the cooking or grandma in that house has that same ability to teach their children, mm -hmm. you know, about nutrition and about caring for their bodies by making sure we provide them the, the food that allows that conversation to take place. Right, absolutely. And also cooking is like, you know, cooking is very easy. 
It's very easy to prepare a super healthful meal for your family. And I think that if you don't, if you're not raised in a family that cooks or you don't know, it can, like you say, it can be very intimidating. And you might opt for less healthy options because they seem faster or maybe they seem cheaper on some levels. It's cheaper to get fast food than it is to go out and, you know, I don't know what, you know, roast some chicken, roast a chicken. But, like, anybody who's an actual cook knows that roasting a chicken is, like, probably one of the easiest things you could ever do. And it could probably feed your family for two days. Mm-hmm. And I think just spreading that spreading that word and spreading that knowledge is a way to just, you know, sort of bring that healthful cooking into, into more homes. Mm-hmm. This podcast was made possible by the innovative thinking and the funding of Feeding America, a nationwide network of more than 200 food banks that feed more than 46 million people through food pantries, soup kitchens, shelters, and other community-based agencies. So moving from our family to fur family, that's really important to you. I've seen on your website and I follow you on social, not in a stalking way or anything. No, no. But you have a little, you guys have a fur baby too. We do. Tell me, tell me, tell me. I have four. Our fur baby, his name is Jack Jack and he's a Labradoodle. And so mm-hmm. we always say that he's he's part teddy bear, part human. Mm-hmm. He's not actually a dog, <laughs> or he doesn't know he's a dog <laughs> at all. And he's he'll, he's going to be ten this year, and um, yeah, and he's definitely you know he, our daughter is this you know perfect angel, and he is like just a maniac, a terror, <laughs> completely spoiled, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's definitely chilling out a little bit now, but you know we we definitely did not spoil Ocean, but we did yes. we did spoil Jack Jack. <laughs> So there you go. That's where it went right exactly. there. Oh, he's so cute. So, you know, I wanted to take that opportunity to bring that up because, you know, Feeding Tampa Bay has started to distribute pet food because of our concern for our neighbors that might make yeah. to have to make difficult choices. And yeah, for sure. they're just as important to all of us as our, our human beings. <laughs> they are. They're very And much we may part spoil them even more, right? Exactly. <laughs> than our human beings. So, you know, exactly. you can go to our distribution or one of our partners and be able to find food for your pets as well. Yeah, that's important. so important when it we is. think about, you know, the statistics and studies that regrettably, you know, some of our neighbors will choose to feed their pet before they'll feed themselves or feed mm. their pet before they get their prescriptions filled. Yeah. Right. And in the case of our senior citizens, we don't want that choice to have to be made. Oh, and no. so we made yeah. a very significant decision to say we're going to source pet food as well so that, you know, we're feeding the whole family. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in my in our family, it sounds like in your family, and I know in Shannon's family, you know, there's equal footing with all, you yep. know, all of these. All of, <laughs> Everyone everybody's matters. important. <laughs> Everyone yeah, everybody matters. That's that is definitely true. So, Lisa, you're you're here as well because of of what you've been doing for a long, long time. It's been your calling. Yes, we know from a very early age. So. I'm going to let you run with the show for a few minutes and just oh tell gosh. us about what you do because only you can do it best. We're going to be oh quiet for a minute. I, I, it's, always, it's always way harder to talk about my, myself than it is to talk about other things. But, you know, yeah, I am, I've been a writer all my life. You know, I never, ever wanted to do anything else with my life. So it was just a sort of a matter of finding my way there. And, you know, I, um, I, I've written uh, 20... 
I just, well, yeah, I guess I can say 20. I've written 20, uh, 20 novels Congrats. of psychological wow. suspense. Yeah, wow. my 20th no- novel will release this um, this October. And, uh, yeah, I've been very blessed to be, you know, be able to do uh, what I love, to make my living doing what I love. So I've been, you know, I feel very grateful for that always. Yeah. So how did that start? You say all your life. How did all that start? So, like, I feel like, you know, I feel like all, you know, all writers are readers first. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where we fall in love with story and the pages of somebody else's books. And my mom was a librarian. And uh, and so I really got that love of story from her. She's an avid reader. She still is. It has been all her life. And, you know, also just a lover of story. You know, everything. You know, film, television, theater, all that stuff. And I really did get that from her. And my dad, you know, is an engineer, or he's a retired engineer, although I don't know that anybody ever retires from being an engineer. <laughs> it's a mindset. It's a mindset. <laughs> it, it definitely is. And he, you know, was not a great lover of story at all. And he, like, didn't want to go to the movies with my mom and didn't like the same shows that she liked and all that stuff. So I was the one that she took with her everywhere. And she was like, I thought, you know, it was going over your head. I was like, no, no. not really. <laughs> and so, you know, I just sort of, yeah, I think most writers have this palpable moment where they think well you know if I can be so moved by somebody else's story and their words and their characters can I do the same thing for somebody else Mm -hmm. you know my dad's answer to that of course was no you can't (laughs) you should not do that writer is not a job please don't do that you know go to college and get a paycheck from some company Mm -hmm. like that's what a real job is and so you know I you know his my deal with my dad always was and this is something that you know I think is funny now is I have a kid who's going off to you know hopefully will be going off to college in a couple of years and you know he was like I've got you covered you know for four years I'm paying for your education you know um but once that is finished you know you're off the payroll so like don't move home you know to write your first novel or travel around Europe to find yourself or any of those things just get get out there into the workforce I was like okay so not surprisingly when I graduated from college I did not have you know I did not have the confidence to pursue my dream, so I went into and went into publishing. You know, and in fact, my dad's advice, which you know, I always this is like one of my most fun things, is to like make fun of him, especially in front of an audience when he's also in the room. Uh-huh. <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but you know, it's not bad advice because it's not an easy way to it's not an easy way to make a living. You know, and I think that maybe you know his advice comes from that from that place. And so I went into publishing and. I, I worked in publishing for, you know, almost 10 years, but, like, I was always a writer. I was always, like, kind of a, you know, kind of a uh, closet closet writer, you know, because it's embarrassing to be a writer working in book publishing. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I'm a writer, too. Tom Clancy. No, you're not. <laughs> you're, you're a book publicist. Like, yeah, okay, that, too. So I, um, you know, so I, I've, you know, I had a moment in my life where I kind of had an epiphany. I realized that sort of everything about my life was wrong. I was with the wrong guy, not my husband. <laughs> I was, um, you know, I was giving 110% of myself to a job that I didn't love and that the only thing I ever wanted, I was kind of just letting it fade away. And so I got very serious about my writing at that point. And I started um, writing every day, you know, with that, whether that meant writing before I went to work or writing on my commute or 
um, you know, uh, or staying in on the weekends, whatever that meant. I, I, I took me a year from that, about a year and a half from that point to finish my first novel, which I had started when I was 19. I started it when I was still in college. I finished it when I was 29. Wow. And you were still working in publishing mm-hmm. while you were doing that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Kept my real job. <laughs> right? <laughs> Kept that real job for a good long time. <laughs> and then, you know, after I had finished that first novel, that's when I went to Sloppy Joe's uh, to visit my friend in Key West. And that's when I met Jeff. And, you know, as we moved to Florida and I, you know, sold my home in, in Brooklyn and quit my big corporate job, I gave myself one year. I said, um, I'm going to take one year to try to sell this book and to write another one. And uh, that's what I did. And I got signed on pretty quickly. And, you know, that's the abridged version. <laughs> of course. Uh, lots, and it worked out Lots okay. of hills and valleys <laughs> along the way. But, yeah, here we are, you know, 20 years later. Such a great story. Thank and you. like you, I was the early, early child who was under the covers with the flashlight <laughs> and the, the value of a book. And, and also like you, when I decided to be an English lit major in college, yeah. my father was, was like, like no. you got to be kidding me. Come on. <laughs> like, what, are you so, crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I hedged my bets with a double major in in English and or and PR journalism because well, in his mind I could always sell the you know by by being a journalist which I That's did right. for a few years as well. But <laughs> I learned value early yeah. on in the ability to tell a story and that every yeah. job really in some way I don't know if it's sales or even in what I do now yeah. the idea of being able to tell your story is so important and so yeah. we were blessed. Um, here at Feeding Tampa Bay by your willingness to come in and and speak to my my team in that marketing is in our world as well and development and telling the client story Mm -hmm. to those who support us is so important and I learned some really valuable things from you about creativity and also the discipline of creativity that I'd never heard before and I wondered if you might share that with us as well. Yeah, I mean, creativity, people always sort of think of it as like a windfall or like just something that happens or that if you're a writer that you like, you know, you have to you wait for the muse to come or you don't write. And that's really not the case. I mean, creativity is a force. And, you know, there are some days that, you know, the pages keep flying and, you know, you can't stop yourself from writing the story that you're working on. But, you know, there are plenty of days when, you know, the magic's not there and the muse did not come to visit and you're still in front of your computer. And that's when craft kicks in. So it's always a sort of a union of like this kind of magical like sort of you know access that I have to a certain part of my brain and just the fact that I'm disciplined enough to be there every day for that magic like you can you know you you'd be surprised if you if you schedule the time for creativity and you honor the schedule you will be surprised at how often Mm -hmm. the muse meets you there and it's it is really just that just that union of things and I think one of the things that we talked about um, during that particular seminar was that you know creativity is is a is a choice it's something that we do every day and something that we are you know and when you and then when you access that to tell a story you know that's when you can really connect with people on a deep level and I think that that's true for you know any sort of creative enterprise whether it's sitting down to write fiction or whether you're sitting down to think about how can I communicate my passion for feeding Tampa Bay 
to a corporation that, you know, may have a lot of different asks all the time, mm. like a lot of different places where they could put their money. You tell the story, you tell your story about why you, why it means something to you. You tell the story of your clients, why it means something to them. And that is a story, you know, when you really get to the heart of, you know, in my case, character, in in your case, you know, the people that Feeding Tampa Bay is serving, when you really get to that heart and you're able to share that, then it, it you know, it can move mountains. Mm. It's really changed the way um, my team looks at their at their work with regard to Thank you. Uh, the stories. And we, we happen to be sitting in a room today that together that has um, photos on the walls of families that we actually serve. And when we allow tours to come in here and we stand in front of those photos and tell the story of those people, I can see hearts opened. Yes. Uh, because it's, it's the real life story of someone that they can support and help. And you know, the way that you had spoken to us about creativity and expanding on that story or learning that story in a deeper way and telling it has really changed the way we do our work here. I'd love to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, you know, because there are so many numbers that you can throw out there, right? You can say, we want to end food instability in Tampa Bay by 2025, or we want, we, we make 95 million meals, mm-hmm. uh, how, how? Distributed yeah. this yeah. last year. This yes. last year. And those are big numbers and they're very, you know, they're impacting, right, to people right. when they hear yeah. it. But there's nothing more impacting than saying, you know, here's this family that can sit down at a table and share a meal and talk about their day um, with, you know, not having the stress of, you know, can I feed my family mm. tonight, tomorrow, the next day? Like, to take that stress away from people allows them to focus on um, what's important and what's right in front of them. Mm their family bring someone peace so they can go on to the next thing because we often say in our world that it starts with food there's a lot going on if you can't put put food on your table right yeah we can at least start there yeah so they can move towards success absolutely i mean and it's just the i mean it's really the foundation for almost everything yeah you know it's like as a kid if you're not even if you're not well fed you can't focus in school Mm -hmm. right you know, it's like if you're not, if you're not if you don't have enough to eat, maybe you can't sleep, mm-hmm. you know, because you're hungry. Right. And then the next day, you can't, you know, you do badly on your test, and it's, you know, it's not your fault because you don't have you don't have the foundation that you need to, you know, to move to the next level or you know to get the attention that you need in school because you're a good student. You know, we all know that the good students get the be- the most attention from their teachers, right? So it's you know it's very cyclical. Mm-hmm. Right. I was fortunate that. Our Hillsborough County uh, school superintendent prior to this one, Marianne Elia, who's kind of an icon and was a friend of mine, one of the things I'll always remember her saying is, I I always thought I was going to be an educator. I didn't know that my primary responsibility was going to be to feed kids so that they could learn. Yeah. Um, right. And, you know, right. now because we're adding pantries in schools where um, the leadership has identified them as at-risk schools, mm-hmm. we can take that pressure off of of our educators mm-hmm. and the teachers who in many cases supplement that with their own very small salary by yes. the way 
um, so that families can come in and shop and and take home food so mm-hmm. that that child mm-hmm. comes back to school on Monday ready to learn and then that's equal footing you know we talk about equity but the idea that I can learn today the same as the student who's sitting at the desk next to me because I'm not coming from behind with hunger right, right exactly. and so uh, you know it's something that you know we really spend a lot of time and for me adding more and more of those pantries um, is an important aspect of what we're trying to do as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the success is there. We're adding right. even more. What do we have? Uh, 49? Yes. Right? And plans for 20 plus more this year. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a lot of children that'll be touched. Right. And I've been amazed too, just at the you know at the um, at the at the Pinellas County school system because we you know um, our daughter Ocean was at a private school until eighth grade and then she and now she's at the Largo IB program, and especially during COVID, I was really just moved by what a huge function the public school holds in the community, like how you know they were still providing breakfast and lunch for the kids. Mm-hmm. Like you can come and get your breakfast and lunch even if you can't come to school. They're still they're providing food for families through the school and I was very very moved mm-hmm. by that what a big you know big part of the community they are mm-hmm. well, we were at our feeding Pinellas opening and an, uh, an educator was there and she said one of every two children is on free and reduced lunch in that's Pinellas right. County that's absolutely right, right. one of yeah. every two yep and it was staggering to me yeah uh, I think it might even be higher where where we are it's a it, at Largo High I think it was 65 65% of kids are on free or reduced lunch so interesting because Mm -hmm. in our 10 county region that we serve the statistic is one in four children is is hungry but there's these pockets of communities and one of which you're speaking about right Right. now exactly where you know it's it's that much higher and when you think about then the ripple effect of whether that student ultimately gets to learn all that they could have learned their full potential right and then we forget and this is why our corporations are more and more supporting us because that then translate to workers who may or may not be successful in their employment right they may or may not have the background so this just continues through life and the educators will say along the way it affects behavior as well Mm -hmm. and so there's no part of our future that isn't impacted early on by food and and so you know again you can tell it's a it's a passion of ours to make sure that in those early years and we support our our um, educational partners in any way we can to make sure kids have food absolutely all the way through college yes all the way we have pantries at universities Mm -hmm. and and uh you know, Dr. Ginshaft said at one point the feedable program that's there, the school pantry, because they have so many college students that are there on um, scholarship. They don't get to go home, you know, during the holidays. They're barely making tuition, if at all. And the fact that she knew that those students could get food on campus um, was such a relief. Was such a relief to her, and I don't. I don't think we think about that on a college campus very often. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm a literary judge for the Tampa Bay Business for Culture and the Arts for mm-hmm. the Charlie Hunchell Art Star Scholarship every year, and that that has come up a number of times because we award scholarships to, um, you know, uh, to uh, writers, artists, dancers, musicians, and it's a you know it's a it's a small scholarship, but it you know it can mean a lot to somebody, mm-hmm. and it's come up time and time again that the you know some of our kids are going off to college, and you know in one case like she didn't have any she was going from Florida to Boston and her family didn't have enough money to buy her a coat 
And so, you know, the the folks at uh, Tampa Bay Business for Culture and the Arts, they, you know, found a way to get her a coat so she could go. So it's these things that you don't really think of when kids go off to college on scholarship Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's still all this other, you know, there's a whole other layer of insecurity. Like they're, you know, they they need support as much as as Mm -hmm. younger kids do. Mm -hmm. I have to come back to your 20 books. Oh yeah, and I, I just you know that we we glossed over that fairly quickly, but yes. I don't I don't know that there's many you know far more than we do, but I know that there can't be but a handful of folks who've successfully written in. I think you told us one time that you have also done that consecutively year after year. Yeah, it's been a book a year for for twenty years. Wow. Yeah. How does that process start? The of uh, oh, just the novel, the process yes. of writing a novel. Um, well, for me, it's always like a there's like a germ or a seed, right? Like it could be a news story or a poem or, you know, um, a song or the title of a song or a photograph or anything. It's anything that gives me this kind of little jolt. It gets me maybe obsessed with a certain topic. And then I start to, um, you know, I start to get, you know, really deep into research. I do a lot of research. And the best way I can describe it is that if it connects to something um, deeper that's going on with me, then I'm going to start to hear a voice or voices. And um, this has always been kind of the way it works for me. And I, I write without an outline. I don't totally know what my book is about, even though I might have some sense of an idea at, the, at its heart or like a loose vibe about what its structure might be. But I follow those voices through my manuscript. And the story and the characters reveal themselves to me on the page, much in the way that they will to my readers later. And so um, I have written every single book just like that. Wow. <laughs> just like that. The it's just amazing. that easy. <laughs> right. And their relationships to one another also then unfold for you. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, some of the books are to, some of the books feature the same characters. Some of the books feature a town, my fictional town called The Hollows, yes. which turns up, you know, sometimes the book is set there, sometimes it's just a mention, but it, no matter what, The Hollows is always like conspiring to get itself into every book, even if the book <laughs> is not about that place or those characters. Right. And there are certain characters that will pop up and, you know, find their way into a story and it's usually, you know, um, when I need a certain thing like if I need some stability, like Jones Cooper will show up, you know, and I was noticing in the the book that I'm writing now, um, which will, you know, be my 21st book, I, I was noticing an, a, like another character that I haven't thought about in a really long time showed up in the book. And I was like, oh, there you are. That's interesting. And so <laughs> that's kind of how that's kind of how it works for me. Like not a lot of people write with an outline. A lot of people don't, you know, it's just, it's a matter of how, you know, story unfolds for you as a writer. But I think what I found that's interesting is that most people who write the way I write have been writing since they were kids. Um, So it's almost like nobody ever told your brain to stop writing stories, Mm. to stop coming up with stories. And so that's just kind of the way my, my brain works. And I feel like I've really, um, I've been a reader all my life, you know, like since I was a little kid and I really have internalized the form of the novel. So like my, my, my mind, I think, or the stories that I tell myself and tell my readers just kind of unfold in that way because it's such a familiar form for me. So if you were advising writers or even parents who were, would love very much to teach 
writing to children early on. I hear you say start read. early. Read and read. start early. Yeah, read. start early and read. Yeah, I mean, there really isn't, there's no other education for a writer. You can go to school for it, you know, I mean, and, and you should. If you decide you want to be a writer, there's definitely a craft and a form that you can learn. But the first, the first and most important educator you'll ever have is reading and the most other than sitting down to your table you know with your family every night for a meal the other mo most important thing you can do for your child is to read to that child read to them. Um, every day mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. we hear and observe the increase of tv watching and netflix and all of those things which which have a place um how do you think that's impact reading and and kids starting out that way? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I know my daughter is, of course, an avid reader, and she reads real books. You know, she doesn't read on mm -hmm. a screen. You know, she does a lot of homework on a screen, research on a screen. You know, she's got a phone. Now, she got her first smartphone when she was in eighth grade, but we've had really strict screen limits on her all her life. And so she naturally turned to books. You know, if we were to go out to dinner, you know, what I would have for her when she was little, if we were out with adults, would be a book or a notebook and pens and stuff like that. So she could always be creative. Um, so for, for her, it's natural just to go to a book. And for a lot of kids, it's natural to just go to the screen. But I think it's something that we instill for our kids. Like we either give them that or we don't, right? Um, and I think that, you know, what's amazing about story is that it's something that we always want, right? Like as people, we want to narrate our existence. We want to hear other people narrate their existence. However, we're going to however we're going to consume that, whether it's going to be audiobook or ebook or film or television or 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 you know, physical book, we're always going to seek that out. We're always going to seek out story, and story is always going to have its place in our culture. How we consume that is is going to change, of course. But I think that you know the written word is perennial, and that people are you know a certain subset of people are always going to read. They're always it's always there always have been a really small amount of readers, right? <laughs> like that's not a that's not a new thing. Like I think that in the industry, the um, the statistic is that three percent of people buy books. Three oh, percent. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Like they may get it from the library or from other, but that was the that is the percentage of people that actually wow. buy books. And so I think that, you know, the reader has always been challenged, right? You know, you're the one who's like with the flashlight <laughs> under yeah. your right, go to bed, or like, you know, reading by can candle, you know, candles are very expensive. You can't read <laughs> into the night. So we've always as readers have always have had our challenges, but I think we will I think we will prevail. <laughs> wow, I didn't. I, I'm blown away by that Me statistic. Too. Well, I mean, how many times have you been with, seen somebody or talked to somebody and they're like, oh, I don't read? And you just are like, what? Right. <laughs> then what do you oh, do? No, so I would respond that way. <laughs> See, when I think about Netflix, like the, the everyone Netflix, I, I think more about how you power watch it. So, for right. instance, my mom is still breeding in me that mm -hmm. that's the way you get away. So, you, yeah, so it's you, fiction. You're I'm transported. A, a huge, I'm right. transported. It's how I, yes. for me, it's how I shut down my brain from the day. Otherwise, I will be up all night thinking about what I need to do. Right, sure. But I love, for instance, like, um, and I'm diving into the hollows. I love okay. being able to wrap yourself around characters. I'll power watch 
something because I can't wait to see what's happening next. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, that's where um, Netflix itself has fed that beast. Right. So I and I am a tablet reader. I have transitioned from the book because yeah. it's easier. I can yeah, take sure. it anywhere and plug it in. But I will seek authors and seek books that will take me on that type of journey where I can right. continue and follow mm-hmm. characters and dive in. Yes. Want to know what's happening? And I think for me, that question is: Do you see? maybe something like a Netflix making that rise, but now knowing that it's 3% or B, <laughs> right. right. What is I mean, wrong it's, with people? Always, it's, Pick always up a book. Been, it's always been that way. I mean, television has been around. I mean, sure, yeah. now there's way more content than there ever was before, and they are very good at keeping you, you know, hooked in, like that little button, like, you know, it just, you don't even have to press it. <laughs> I get so bored <laughs> the next start, the, the next The next series, the like, yes. next show just starts, and it's, um, it's an interesting thing, but, you you know, I do. I do think that you know the written word is not is not something that is going away. It's never going to no. be. It's it's a different way. I mean, because I for myself, I'm also I love film and television as mm-hmm. well. Like I'll consume story anyway. It's offered to me. Like mm-hmm. um, I'm always going to you know default to books first because that's mm-hmm. just sort of you know my first love and mm-hmm. you know what what I want to do with my eyes. I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> I love re- reading a book and then they make it a movie and then of course. Course, I'm the biggest critic. Right, of course. Like, oh, my mind had it. Like, no, right. So true. <laughs> so wrong. That's how I, I, I believe that's how I instilled reading into my kids early on. It was an incentive that they could later watch, watch a movie, movie if we, in, in early on, we read all of, all of our books together. In fact, my boys would want me to admit this, but we were still reading together when they were in middle school. Oh, yeah. And then too. my greatest satisfaction of all was when they would watch the movie and say it's just not as good as the book yeah, because right. then yeah. you're like that's that's what I'm looking then for it worked. for sure and it's true yep. um, but it takes a reader to I, I believe to acknowledge right. that and so um, they they will still talk about the fact that you know we had to read the books in order to get to see the movie <laughs> yeah and it's also part of a little bit of part of the curriculum now like Ocean just finished The Great Gatsby in her English class and then as a reward for you know all the you know all the long conversations they had about Gatsby they were able they're sure. able to watch the movie yeah. and it just it, you know it takes it to another it takes it to it another does. level but certain yeah. things don't don't yeah. translate. They don't. No, they don't. No, no. they don't. And it, all the listeners, you need to get your kids to read. I'm still shocked. Yeah. Just <laughs> read. So if you're just, listening, yeah. <laughs> get your kids to read. read. Or your grandkids or yeah. wherever you're whoever, at in life. Whoever, whoever just you sit can down get. and read. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, before we let you go home and enjoy your weekend, uh, tell us about your book that's out now. Mm-hmm. First of all, there's 19 books right now that people yes. can go. And if they okay. haven't experienced your writing they can go now and then you have one coming out so tell us about so i'll tell you about the one that's out right now i'm not quite a hundred percent ready to talk about the one that's coming in october but you know stay tuned anyway i'm easy to find you know on social media yes (laughs) you could not find me (laughs) (laughs) but the the most recent book that uh the one that just came out in october is called last girl ghosted and um it's about a, a young woman who's an advice columnist and she's kind of come from this dark past and you know but she's built a life for herself she's moved past trauma and she's kind of moved into a life that she loves she has friends and you know a good job and she's 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 happy she's good except that her best friend Jax thinks that she's lonely and wants her to start dating and so she pushes Ren into 
uh, the world of online dating apps. And so she kind of goes, you know, reluctantly into it. She meets a few guys. It's underwhelming, to say the least. And then she meets Adam. And um, she falls for him hard. And they have this whirlwind romance. And then after a particularly romantic evening, he, um, he says to her, tell me something that you've never told anyone. And she does. And the next day, Adam disappears. She's been ghosted. Um, his social media profiles are gone. His cell phone has been disconnected. And the place she thought was his home is just a vacation rental. And she's devastated. She's heartbroken. But when a uh, private detective shows up on her doorstep, he tells her that she that there are other women um, who also thought they were in love with Adam. And all of those women have disappeared. And so Ren, instead of you know, sort of curling up and licking her wounds and letting it go and being glad that worse things didn't happen to her, like they may have had to happen to these other women. She decides that, you know, maybe he, uh, maybe she wasn't the first girl that he ghosted, but she will be the last. And she chases his very dark digital trail into his past and into her own. And that's the last girl ghosted. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And you can read it, or you can listen to it on audio, or you can read it on your tablet. Yes, Yes, you can. Every format that could possibly be available is available of the book. And all of your books are actually available. All of my books. Yeah, they're all available in, in every possible format. So... We highly encourage you to check out Lisa's books. Be one of the 3%. (laughs) Yes. And start your children early reading so you can be a fan as well. And it's lisaunger.com. That's right. lisaunger.com. And then, you know, of course, like every possible social media profile from Instagram to Twitter to Facebook. I'm impossible uh, to miss. (laughs) You actually have on our way out one more thing. You have advice for social media real quick and then we're going to say goodnight. What is that? Uh, my, <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I heard about this. I, I don't know what my I don't know what particular piece of advice. I give a lot of advice about social media, but I guess the number one piece of advice I would have is that you know use it in moderation. And it's not your life. It should augment your life. Um, it is the it is the enemy of creativity. Um, it is that the one you were looking That's for? It. Yeah, it has its place, and it's the enemy of so creativity. It has its it has its place, but it is the enemy of creativity. It masquerades at work as work, but it zaps you of your presence in your in your own life. And that presence, that you know, the ability to be here now, is the heart and soul of every creative enterprise. So, use social media. Don't let it use you. Mm. There it is. There it is. Right. <laughs> I have to. I have to say in closing as well. We thank Lisa for the way that you've begun to support Feeding Tampa Bay in increased ways, and yeah. the um, the work and some of the, the things we've talked about doing together in the future. Is yes. Really, it also gives us an opportunity to share our story to a greater audience because of the folks who follow you. Thank so you. thank you so much for that. Oh, thank yes. you. I, I I love doing whatever I can to support. And I love finding, you know, different ways to do that, you know, creative ways to, to spread the word about, you know, um, Feeding Tampa Bay and local businesses like Tom Below Books, which is like one of my, you know, favorite indie stores in the area. So anything I can do to spread the word about, you know, important places that are doing good things for people and for books, that, that makes me very happy. 
Well, we appreciate that very much. We are certainly thankful for your time and for Jeff for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much. Thank so we have learned absolutely everyone has creativity within them. Absolutely. Pick up a book. Lisa, yeah. thank you so much for joining us and pick up one of Lisa's books. Kelly, thank you so much for what sitting in. Thank You're you. wonderful. And we guys will see you for episode four. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you thank so you much, guys. guys. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Feeding Tampa Bay.